Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. In this episode, we are joined by Job Flores of Monadnock Architects from Rotterdam. It's Job's second time here. He was here about six years ago with the invitation of Daniel Rosbottom. And it's interesting to track the progression of his practice since this point. I mean, they have stayed true to their core interest of history as a site for invention and discovery. And in this interview, we kind of range quite widely, but do talk about what it was like to be a young architect interested in these themes at the high point of the super Dutch movement. We go on to speak about the value of people such as Kolhas and Kolhoff and speculate about the current movement, if that's the right term, in European architecture and where it might go next. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, you welcome to the Kingston School of Art. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I feel honoured to be a part of your series. <laughs> well, it's your second time here, isn't it? Uh, here. Yes, I've been invited six years ago by Daniel Rosbottom of the RDH, and yeah, it was a pleasure actually. It was was a, I think yeah, it was a good atmosphere here. It was my first time at Kingston, and. Uh, I enjoyed the mess in the in the rooms that I saw here yeah. downstairs. Uh, it reminded me actually of my time, not uh, during my architectural studies, but uh, during my studies at the Academy of Fine Arts, where everything was a mess uh, and you really had to find your path through the rubbish. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a big. It's not, thing. it's not the same, by the way, this year, but it reminded me vaguely of it. Yeah, it was a big thing that you know Daniel really. Uh, drove through is this idea of thinking through making and all of this and what we're really doing is we're just continuing and building on that but I mean it's interesting you've touched on your own education how did you start to become an architect what was your track through education I actually first wanted to be um, uh, a painter um, uh, an artist and um, well that's probably during child's you, you draw and um, I was doing uh, uh, graffiti and then at a certain point I uh, uh, was uh, more interested in, in painting and then um, during my uh, so I, uh, um, I entered the Academy of Fine Arts and then at that time I had one influential uh, tutor uh, and he explained to me you look at your colleague uh, which was a friend and uh, he said, uh, that colleague is really an artist. You see the way he draws, and you draw very well, but you kind of describe the things mm. instead of a uh, kind of internal uh, uh, struggle like he is doing. Perhaps you're an architect. <laughs> 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 and I was young, and I listened to him, and I said, okay, but perhaps I'm an architect. So I started to uh, orientate on this, and then I thought, yeah, perhaps this is better. And then I also found out that you can still create quite unusual things, being an architect. Uh, but um, uh, during the uh, Academy of Fine Arts, this was not an option to really study architecture, so it meant interior architecture, furniture, um, decor, uh, scenography, um, and that was nice. And uh, that's also where I met Sondra, my uh, uh, partner in crime, so to say. Yeah. Great. And so, so you were kind of looking at interiors, looking at furniture, yeah. looking at decor and yeah. kind of, and then did you move to a kind of more formal school of architecture or was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Then, then, then this was the bachelor, so to say, which did not have that name at that time. Uh, so it took uh, also like four years and then uh, the master studies in architecture. 
uh, on uh, Academy of uh, Architecture and Urbanism, which is a concurrent system. So you work four days a week and then you study next to it and then it takes four years or five years to get your master's. Uh, and it means that you immediately start working and your work, your practice experience also influences, of course, your uh, thinking during education. Um, it's also hard because you're becoming increasingly ambitious, of course, um, after a while uh, as a student. And you also get more responsibility in the office that you're working. So uh, it took a, lot, a while to graduate, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a nice uh, combination. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of just interesting looking at the work. And I, you know, this is the first time we've met, although yeah. I've yeah. seen your work and admired it for yeah. years, is that, it, you know, it, the work of your practice is very much invested in history as a site for invention. It's mm-hmm. sort of a, mm-hmm. it, it's not a leaden relationship with history. It's not one of stereotype. It's mm-hmm. not one of pastiche. But it is very much grounded on your writing mm-hmm. points at this as well, about an understanding of history. And does that come from, was that something you were self-educating in or was that something that came from your understanding of art or how did that become an interest? I think... Um uh, all these uh, things that you've just mentioned play the role. I think there there is, let's say, uh, an, an interest for history before I started uh, with architecture, indeed, probably influenced by studying uh, old masters in, in arts in, in general, um, visiting all kinds of museums. And then um, I would say, um, well, it... it it also had to do with um, the fact that um, when Sander and me, we studied, uh, we were surrounded by uh, uh, friends uh, that were all working in uh, environments that were uh, doing, uh, let's say, super Dutch uh, stuff. Yeah. And, um, and we did not, both of us, we did not very feel very comfortable with that. And that therefore, we um, also um, met again. Um, because he studied in Tilburg and I studied in Rotterdam, two different cities. We're not much in contact at uh, that time. And we both then uh, uh, worked in Antwerp. Um, so someone called me one day and said, there is a place here in the office. I think you should go. And then in Antwerp, there was a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us, we did our internships in Flanders also. Uh, I did my internship at Christian Kiekens Architects and then... And Christian Kiekens was also somebody that really ignited this idea of uh, using uh, history as something playful, as something, yeah, operational, you could almost say, and uh, um, which is not necessarily heavy. And then it grew because then I started working at Rapp, um, which is a pupil of Kohlhoff, and then you kind of, yeah, then it starts to... To pile up the, the amount of luggage, you could say, or it starts to to ground a bit a bit more. Someone went to MVR TV, um, and I think uh, um, this uh, you could say, yeah, this gave a, 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 an intriguing cocktail, um, um, which actually uh, allows us to uh, yeah to both use uh, you could say contemporary architecture as a historical architecture, which. Is finding a balance every every time, and that we make a design, of course. And um, I could not really give a very clear answer to you. Um, uh, something like uh, there it happens, but I think it's it's just this uh, ser- this series of uh, events, um, uh, influences, influential people like Kikens, mm. but also Christian Rapp, 
for me were uh, yeah were important. And, uh, and of course, rap has an association with Kohlhoff, and there's this. Yeah. I mean, Kohlhoff's a very interesting figure yeah. in Europe at that yeah. time. Yeah kind of polluting the water in a way. And I mean, you know, being a young Dutch architect at the time of this the high point, really, of the certainty of that school yeah. of thinking, um, which obviously has value and obviously has its place and we wouldn't be here now without it. But I always find it, I kind of find it very intriguing because sometimes when something of that moment occurs in a country, mm. take the States, for example, you don't really recover from it for a long time because it becomes, if you look at Eisenman becoming the upstart, becoming the orthodoxy and really still in many respects, still the orthodoxy of the States, whereas there seems to be, was that just an innate skepticism, a restlessness in Dutch culture? Was that something very marginal when you were getting slightly critical about? No, it was, um, it was considered, um, I I would say in general, it was considered uh, very um, old-fashioned to 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 look back instead of uh, uh, look forward, and uh, um, and um, it was also uh, not done to uh, engage and use uh, classical older architecture as a point of reference in mm. the Netherlands at that point. And in general, I would say there is, if I have to, kind of. Sketch the Dutch people. I think there's always a, a, a need or a lust for for progress and like burn your bridges uh, as a, as a cultural statement instead of finding a mixture. Now I would say that's the 90s. Um, this changed, of course. Now nowadays people also understand uh, the nuances uh, uh, better. But that made uh, uh, me in that time also very, uh, well, perhaps also quite dogmatic in, uh, in um, let's say, engaging with other architecture uh, than, than super, uh, super Dutch. But it really helped to find, uh, uh, to meet some older uh, architects, um, like uh, a, a very, uh, I don't know if he's very well known outside of the, the Netherlands, it's Sjoerd Suters. He makes postmodern architecture and never stopped with it, actually. And uh, he's a very funny uh, uh, guy, by the way. But um, he was also quite bitter and sour on uh, on the fact that he um, could not have conversations with his uh, uh, generation, uh, colleagues of his generation, because they were modernists and did not want to, uh, indeed, have polluted water or have... Um, uh, have a talk with somebody who was uh, impure, you could say, in his uh, approach to architecture. And um, I've, I really thought that that um, that a, a new generation would uh, uh, be necessary to kind of flatten that and to kind of approach that in a different way, in uh, a more open uh, and playful and light way. I think uh, that eventually uh, uh, got more space and now it's not it's not very exotic anymore to engage with uh, with with uh, references from the past I would say it's almost uh, becoming fashionable in a way uh, which is not a bad thing in itself um, well it's not so um, polemical anymore I would say no it's true it's it, it, it's it's interesting I mean at the same time you know we were students in Dublin and mm-hmm. I don't think um we ever really felt, I mean, Ireland's always felt far from the centre architecturally and our architecture is always slightly adulterated because of that distance from the centre. There are very few pure modernist buildings or pure neoclassical buildings, etc. Everything becomes muddied. But it was a time, you know, where you really felt 
well, this is this we are we are hopelessly lost in the past because in Ireland it's always reference, yeah. always yeah. talking. But I do think it's interesting because I do think that the thinking of Kohlhaas and that kind of intellectual playfulness before it became cynical mm-hmm. has been a very valuable yeah. gift to architecture. Um, I, I really, I mean. The, 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 that kind of enthusiasm that came out of Delirious New York yeah. and those projects, they are cited in history yeah. and they show this playfulness that you're describing by way of example in a way and by way of his intellectual dexterity. And then it's sort of because the, I think the type of referential play that you're discussing that now is becoming an orthodoxy of sorts, and we might return to that, I can't think of it without that, the idea that a retrospective manifesto is a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <clears throat> it sounds a bit silly, perhaps, but uh, um, of course, um, when I was a student, Kohlhaas was there. But I kind of, I also deliberately kind of ignored uh, uh, this uh, uh, this whole um, direction in in architecture. And it's only the, in recent years that I start to really appreciate it. And I also indeed. Uh, understand the value of it much better and to such a point that I now uh, have the feeling that I've ignored him too long actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the knowledge of uh, Kohlhoff and Kohlhaas being let's say both uh, these pupils of uh, Umars which is uh, which actually is uh, uh, brings everything together uh, uh, in a way it makes uh, a lot of sense yes. when you put it like that yeah and and uh, then then all of a sudden there is an, yeah you just draw a different circle uh instead of uh, around a group, group of people. Uh, and it, that also makes sense indeed. Uh, so then in this time, you have already met your potential partner in practice, but you're working in different places. Yeah. Did you sort of suspect that you would start to collaborate at some point or how did that start to happen? Uh, well, we knew, of course, that we, there, that we were working with spirits in a way that we had shared uh, interests because uh, I think uh, we had one excursion to Switzerland, uh, which was actually organized mainly by Christian Kikens mm-hmm. in the 19th, showing us uh, uh, Jornico of Merkley and uh, also uh, showing, um, I would say, one of the earlier works of Morgan and de Gelo, which had one of the apartment buildings, and of course, the signal boxes of Herzog de Mille, mm-hmm. so the whole the whole Swiss club you could say and um, that made an incredible impact oh not to forget dinner uh, mm-hmm. dinner mm-hmm. Uh, very important because you have to imagine we were in a bus driving through Basel and it happened like two or three times that we missed the the building of uh, of dinner just because <laughs> we did not recognize it and you also have to imagine that that meant quite something to me because we were, let's say, trained in a way that architecture should be immediately visible as something spectacular. And yeah. then we were in, in Switzerland in this bus driving through the mountains, which is also exciting for us Dutch people. But <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then these these uh, silent buildings that actually did not immediately speak or uh, that really required some... Uh, tuning of a new uh, resolution of, uh, of looking, actually. That's really funny, because in a completely different place, yeah. we were standing on KNSM Island mm-hmm. between Kohlhoff and Diener yeah. as students. Um, and after uh, going through the the buffet of the terraced housing scheme, mm-hmm. it was a delight, actually, 
to kind of sit next to those buildings and their ordinariness was a real challenge, actually. Yeah. I mean, Preus is more extraordinary overtly yeah. initially, but then its yeah. extraordinariness is actually much more subtle than I first expected. Yeah. You know? um, it's interesting that it, that was in Holland at the yeah. same time. But this was, you know, so this person taking you around Keekens, mm-hmm. Switzerland in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, very astute person, obviously, mm-hmm. Because her St. Demeron would have been well known, Diener would have been emergent and well known. Merkley, really not on the radar yet. No. And, you know, that structure in Jornico, it's figurative. It's. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. 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 I, uh, well, it's everything together, of course. The journey to this valley, and then that you have to pick up the key there at the, at the local bar, and then uh, entering. In, a room which is uh, uh, made out of concrete, not really in, in immediately accommodating. That was for us all very new. It also made us feel that we were visiting another signal box, which was completely mm-hmm. stripped in a way. Yeah, I might I might come back to that later, but it strikes me that you have experienced this uh, beauty, of course, of uh, Dina and Kohlhoff being uh, uh, there, because that was simultaneously happening indeed, because... There was always in the south of the Netherlands this guy, Jo Koenen. Yeah. And he actually uh, uh, had this strong uh, uh, relation with uh, Ticino. Uh, so, Grassi Smutsi, um, invi- he invited when he was a, a supervisor of uh, one of the uh, southern cities of Maastricht. Uh, he invited all these, uh, and also Rossi, uh, invited them all to, uh, to make buildings. And in that whole movement, there was also Kohlhoff and Diener. So that was indeed also uh, parallelly uh, uh, there, but it happened a bit earlier, I would say, uh, 85, 88. Uh, and then Pires was there at, uh, I would say, 1991. And I have to say, especially Pires, yeah. that really rocked my world yeah, completely. Extraordinary thing. That was the first time I saw that. I It really uh, blew me completely away. It actually still does. It sounds uh, a bit uh, pathetic, perhaps, but it still does. Uh, oh, no. It's, it's incredible, uh, the the uh, combination of playfulness and, and, and uh, strictness uh, in this. And, and it still uh, feels old and new at the same time. And that is so... Uh, Powerful. Yeah. We were we were just talking about it and Kai Fisker and the Hornbeck House and yeah. it's one of those right, yeah. a big beast yeah. but delivered with nuance. You yeah. know? We 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 were sheltering in the doorway in a rainstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I saw that building and mm-hmm. somebody let us in and she saw we were architecture students and she took us around through all the Good. corridors and the winter gardens and stuff like this. Yeah. That's it's it's an incredible achievement that yeah. building. Yeah. But it's, so it's interesting that, you know, every time one looks back and one sees orthodoxies from a distance, of course, there's just this plurality all the time in mm-hmm. Europe. There's mm-hmm. always these competing voices, mm-hmm. but ultimately sort of saying similar things. Yeah. And it feels like we are at another one of those fecund, fertile moments. Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm the age I am. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your practice is working in a very intriguing way. You're friends with Lucien's Padmanabha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were just talking about Ted A, yeah. NP2F, yeah. people like this. Yeah. Um, just before we return to the career trajectory, I'm just wondering, do you see resonances? I mean, I suppose we don't have a, we don't have a Kohlhaas, do we? I mean, I suppose we don't have the dogma. We don't have, I mean, I wonder, do we need more of that? You know, more of, am I being a bit 
No, it's good. It's good what you what you're asking actually. No, uh, you're you're being clear. Um, I think you're right um, because that's one of the things you could actually be critical about when you talk about, let's say, our generation uh, or or yeah, group of people sharing uh, uh, interests that that overlap. And I would say that a, a core house is not there and. We're also, and I, I, I always think that he, he was actually not so much interested in building, but now, nowadays I really start to doubt about that because uh, I also see uh, in retrospective his, uh, uh, his older buildings from the 80s, 90s, and I see that there is absolute, absolutely a lust for building. It's just that I never recognized it as such because it did not really fit my frame, so to say, and now... Uh, but we are, I would say, are very much trying to find this. We're so much intrigued in, in materiality and tactility. And I was so much uh, occupied also with uh, resisting against this uh, over-conceptualized uh, uh, super-Dutch architecture, which was completely ignoring. I would say, I would separate Kohlhaas a bit from this super-Dutch. Sure. In, in, during yes, this, yes. For I the sake of argument in this, yeah. in this conversation, because I think otherwise it gets too... Uh, rough. So I would say uh, a lot of these super Dutch architects completely ignored the process of building and were uh, satisfied with with making these concepts. And then um, you could say by focusing so much on these uh, uh, on this materiality and tactility, I also sometimes have the feeling that uh, yes, um, the, the theory might get uh, a bit uh, well, not lost. That gets a bit more relaxed in a way. Um, not such a strong point as as Kohlhaas is, uh, was making uh, there, and that so a real str- uh, uh, strong theoretical figure that also uh, uh, builds that indeed um, might be lacking indeed. But that, but back, back to your question, I would say that there is a. Um, well, I would say I the feeling that outside of the Netherlands, I find a lot of uh, uh, friends uh, mm. that starts in Flanders with uh, Bovendal, for example. Of course, yeah. Uh, but also Gafka, indeed, and um, yeah, in, in the UK or and also even in, in Ireland, there are a lot of um, more than in the Netherlands actually uh, a lot of people that uh, have agendas which which. Absolutely overlapping uh, elements, and what what interests me most is actually the the, uh, the 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 light and playfulness that I see indeed in the architecture of uh, uh, Thomas and uh, and Oliver Lutjespaat uh, But I also find it in uh, in, in other uh, in other places. I think also Bovenbouw is doing that actually yeah. in a in a very uh, uh, in a very good way. Um, but both of them are interesting because if you take the police station, yeah. there's a political agenda to that building, also yeah. the tectonic and historical, yeah. to yeah. do with the nature of public space. Maybe it's because the practices that are emerging simultaneously are all of a similar size. I mean, right, they're mm-hmm. all small. Mm-hmm. And nobody's kind of suddenly charging radically ahead of anybody else. Mm-hmm. But it does, it might perhaps point to the fact that maybe at this time of geopolitical mm-hmm. instability. Mm-hmm. What produces movement was relatively political stability within Europe, you know, and mm-hmm. connection with historical forces and all that kind of thing. But maybe it's perhaps time to reconnect with a political agenda for architecture to an extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just reflecting as we're talking that mm-hmm. 
there was an anger at the time of the late 70s and 80s that mm-hmm. was a political anger mm-hmm. as much as anything else mm-hmm. that informed, say, Kohas in particular. And actually, the fire that fed that sort of became less interesting once the, the wall had fallen and suddenly the force of capitalism and the force of progression mm-hmm. were temporarily aligned. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But I kind of wonder, I mean, we don't have to go anywhere with this other than just just reflecting on it, is that if there is a nascent, you know, movement of European architecture, not a stylistic one, and it has commonalities about Mm -hmm. looking to history and that intellectual endeavor is a playful act Mm -hmm. as well as a serious piece of craft, that perhaps there will in time become a political agenda. Well, that would would help. Yeah. 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 Um, because I see uh, also when we talk and we talk about being interested in in, in, in the history of architecture, we actually uh, it, it's the start uh, it's the start of a conversation because it's a very uh, imprecise in a way and because history is is, is a lot uh, contains a lot so you have to really uh, be uh, um, be precise and in in how which parts you engage with and which parts you don't and then um, of course I, I, I think it's I think it's merely in, in, in Germany that that more conservative political forces really pick up this uh, 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 let's say a traditional style in a way um, and there is a connection a political connection with this uh, field uh, of interest in architecture. Mm-hmm. And that's, I find that a bit scary, actually. It's a bit worrying, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Not, not to immediately uh, think that it's going to the uh, a wrong direction, but I I wonder in what uh, what kind of uh, um, critical field, uh, political critical field we could uh, then end up, because I, I have no clue, to be honest. I actually see the, the architecture as a rather closed discipline with, with rules and uh, that we, of course, uh, try to explore. But as soon as we kind of uh, uh, lose the, the language or vocabulary of, of, uh, of architecture, um, then we don't know uh, what it is anymore. Uh, for us, a very relevant thing, because during our education in the arts, we, of course, flirted with making art. Um, and for us, there's a very strong uh, uh, cut between what architecture is and what uh, uh, autonomous art is. And um, we also felt the urge to define that we don't want to make uh, architecture that is uh, like autonomous art. Um, of course, uh, it can be beautiful, of course, but uh, uh, it's it's a, it's a, it's an important difference. Um, if you look at uh, uh, the motives in architecture that have been apparent for ages and you try to make new interpretations of that or you try to elaborate on that, then I'm not so sure whether that's a political agenda uh, of continuity, perhaps, but um, um, I, I did not reach the point that I'm able to f- very clearly formula- formulate that. I stress I'm saying this with a lowercase p, mm-hmm. but, you know, I suppose... The housing scheme that was unbuilt, the courtyard mm-hmm. one, is, is for me, it, it is, it is more than just architecture from its own history. There's a purpose to the tropes that you are using and they're fundamentally to do with community, community and space, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they are linked to those things. They're, they're not the use of tropes for effect alone or for architectural semiotics alone. And I guess when, 
say, if we look at for Newburgh, and yeah. there's a piece of scenography because mm-hmm. of the way that you've treated the surface of the brick. Mm-hmm. And yet it's playing with the historical forms mm-hmm. and then in the articulation of the surface and the way the arches are broken by the plaster. So you're playing in the language of historical forms. You're denying them. You're presenting it as scenography by the way the surface of the brick has been treated. And then there's this really interesting collage of elements like tower, like these sorts of things, which relate to kind of fundamental languages of what civicness might be. And there's an optimism to all of that that is much more than skillful collage to me. There's skillful collage with a purpose, or at least I'm seeing that purpose as being something manifested. And then what's also I find very compelling about it is there's a frugality to it. It it engages with the economics of contemporary construction, and it's not embarrassed about the results of that, particularly in the tower where the frame and the brick (laughs) are so kind of relaxed in their relationship. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be in the work, as I see it. Well, what I could say about this topic is that civicness might be well I'm a, I'm a bit in doubt about this to be honest because I I, I think um, we uh, we indeed decided at a certain point that um, it would be nice to make buildings that people can relate to uh, are not immediately like spaceships um, because we think um, it's uh, there an architectural agenda is overlapping with an political agenda that we, we think it's nice to make, uh, or not only nice, it's, it's actually necessary to make environments which do not alienate people, uh, but actually make them feel comfortable or at least uh, question uh, their environment. And um, But I've honestly also noticed that um, if this is the ambition, then um, I'm not sure whether the landmark is completely uh, fulfilling this uh, ambition because, yes, it is a, a landmark tower uh, uh, in Newburgh and that, that indeed gives them uh, gives uh, uh, the small village uh, a place on the horizon. That was uh, the question. And uh, it, gives a, a, it makes a center point and it kind of reorganizes uh, the, the center of the village. And that is all good. And at the same time, these people were completely uh, uh, frightened that they would get a mosque in the in the in the in the center of their village um, because it was so exotic uh, that we proposed for them. While we even used elements that were, let's say, uh, traditionally also being used in the in older buildings in that in that area. So we we were quite uh, surprised by that. But it also means that it makes it more complicated for me to uh, to really say that this political agenda is something that we're very keen on. No, I'm sure it yeah. isn't. I mean, I'm, I, I, like these things are sort of below the surface, yeah. and yeah. It's, it's sort of the, it's just intriguing to me because the reason I raised it, and I think we can move off it, but the reason I raised it is I think there's more substance mm-hmm. to this work that's happening. Yeah. Then only this, and I guess in the kind of mist of our present moment, somebody else in years' time will capture it and say what it was everybody was doing. But I guess I'm hunting for there's something uniting people, and it's not style, and it's not tectonics, and it's not only history. It's something else. How do you work in practice? How do you develop the work and critique it? So you're looking for moments of affinity or moments for where things resonate beyond themselves. 
we're we're a bit in love with with testing and searching, um, and sometimes to a point that it really takes a, um, a lot of a lot of, a lot of time, um, and that we really like to reconsider it and reconsider it and make new versions up to a level which is uh, yeah makes quite a lot of versions, and uh, um, that's also something that which I'm going to tell later in. I will show the first version of this uh, new Bergen uh, project and the second version. And we we most of the time start actually with with, with searching for uh, examples for uh, uh, precedents, mm. uh, and then um, try to to kind of um, disti- uh, distill the the most uh, pure or clear. Uh, typology uh, of that and then try to formulate uh, whether it fits uh, uh, to the situation and then we start building up um, other influences like context uh, well that's always there as a first starting point but on an abstract level for example um, the atlas house is a suburban house call it villa if you want, if you like or almost rural uh, because it's really uh, close to a, a huge uh, a uh, forest country state and um, that's actually the first uh, that ignites the first steps um, that is actually an old-sided uh, uh, house um, mm-hmm. already knowing that it will gradually be uh, let's say uh, included in more uh, uh, villas uh, that have been uh, uh, built uh, uh, there but and then we start uh, uh, defining um, what kind of uh, well? For example, then then we find out that uh, if we pile up all the requirements, that it's a very uh, um, that it will be very hard to make a, a villa on this small plot. And then we start making a tower house, so to say, and we start studying tower houses, like in Ireland. And uh, we start to study on vertically organized houses. And are you working in plan or in model form or? Uh, uh, most of the time, altogether, and yeah. uh, we we um, um, I tend to work more from uh, the image of uh, uh, of the outside, and Sonder is uh, happily Sonder is more occupied with the organization uh, of the internal uh, structure, uh, so that's a nice balance because both uh, get answers then, and sometimes they logically meet, and sometimes they are completely detached, which is also good. Um, it's not like uh, uh, Sonder is drawing uh, plants in, on one side <laughs> of the table and I'm drawing the, uh, 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 the elevations. But um, no, I think for both of us, uh, the, uh, the, the visual impact is, is, is uh, and I think it's caused by, by the education in, in the arts that you first actually are occupied with, with the image in, in a way or the, the visual expression and the impact of the, of the expression and, and, and the clearness uh, of that the ambivalence of that, but um, we're not very, um, let's say, uh, technically driven uh, uh, persons uh, in a way that we think that uh, we're, we're not technically schooled in a way that we think that every uh, column should be visible uh, in such a way. Uh, or we also, although we were trained like that uh, for a while, being uh, uh, working in, in Flanders, where I think we also gradually kind of um, moved away from that, that things yeah, are much more intriguing when they're impure and ambivalent and not uh, immediately uh, 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 fitting together. In uh, uh, And that that's always a very hard point to reach. And so 
you can only have a couple of moments in, in your design where this, uh, this uh, uh, non-fitting is working in a, in, a, in a good and pleasant way. Yeah. Because if, uh, if there are a lot of things not fitting, then it's a mess and it's not convincing and it's not strong anymore. So we, yeah, we try to use a lot of uh, uh, precedents of, of, of uh, uh, not only typologies, but also architects that are uh, able to uh, to find this, um, um, but it's yeah. it's quite it's quite interesting to me about it is that it's you know it's about manifest in a very particular way that's recognizable as your work you know so I mean one thing to talk about is the surface mm-hmm. so so and brick let's just talk about brick surfaces yeah. Yeah, good so we've got Neubergen where the surface the entire surface is treated to produce a flatness yeah. and a tautness. Mm-hmm. Sort that sort of denies the articulation of archway and mm-hmm. plaster, and then we take Atlas House, where there's a decision to make the mortar protrude beyond the brick mm-hmm. face, which sort of produces a fuzziness to the silhouette, which is really interesting mm-hmm. to the to the vertical lines of that structure, which then are punctured by these very precise windows yeah. and that curve yeah. at the top, which yeah. is very sharp. So there's a kind of what I was trying to say is that there's more than just the, if it's about the image of the thing, it's the image of the thing on multiple scales. And what point are those decisions adulterating your understanding of the image? So let's just take those two decisions to do with surface or joint and two different facades. You know, arguably, if we put the same brick treatment on Atlas House and left everything else the same, it's a radically different project. <laughs> Never thought of that. <laughs> but what points are those tectonic or those kind of surface decisions adulterating the image are, are being considered about? We've actually um, then have to make a couple of steps back, and that you know, brings me to Umars uh, uh, and to Hossi, uh, people that I uh, admire and uh, whose architecture I adore. But most of the time, I'm honestly also disappointed visiting these buildings. And uh, that has to do with uh, uh, materiality. Yeah. Uh, the, ig- uh, the total ignorance for uh, the process of building. Um, and uh, I even wonder whether they enjoyed and visited the site, but perhaps that's a bit, uh, goes a bit too far. Um, but this whole idea of, of materiality... Is not in their uh, is not in, in their buildings. I think it's uh, it's it's a drawing almost. They were it's makers of images, yeah, in they, it. yeah, yeah, and and that is something we we saw back. I think in this generation of, uh, like I just mentioned, in, in this generation of super Dutch uh, architects, um, that the image was was more important, and that's something we resist to. Therefore, we always think that there is a layer of materiality that should be celebrated. Kind of um, almost as an autonomous, uh, not autonomous, but as a as a surplus to the that should add more value to the whole uh, to the to the building, and which also uh, distorts uh, the abstraction, steps away from the abstraction. Because if you, for example, in Newbergen, this this painted uh, brick uh, with green slurry, if you if you if it would only be, uh, 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 yeah. A standard brick with a uh, with a nice uh, joint in between, then it's not. Uh, then it might become too abstract, and that's a bit. Um, 
because the tension is not only in the in the combination of the tower um, uh, on top of the house, which is then turned 45 degrees. Of course, there's a lot of tension in that, and of course, it took us quite a lot of time to find that tension. But then you try to build up more, and yeah. I think this is just another level, which is uh, plays a different role. Um, and, and therefore, I would almost say. When you have find when you have found this on a on a volume level, then a, a new chapter starts. Then you start uh, thinking about what kind of plasticity and uh, what kind of uh, tactility uh, the building should have. And for the Atlas House, it's a bit of a. I think we noticed that this uh, whole block it's not very uh, elegantly proportioned. It's quite wide and a bit thick. Uh, it's a thick house, you could mm-hmm. say, and. So we try to counter that with um, uh, making a distinction between a plinth and something which is on top of the plinth. And um, this part which is on top of the plinth we thought should be more light and playful, should have a kind of textile quality uh, to, to step away from this bulkiness of the, of, the, of the block. And therefore we actually started to kind of attack this uh, uh, silhouette. And then these joints help us telling this. What's kind of delightful about all that stuff is that I, the ambiguities and the tensions that you, you you seek they're they're not of collage but they're of something fully synthesized. Well, and that's that's interesting that you say that because um, adding a, 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 a short text for uh, uh, this Swiss magazine Argitese, oh yeah, and uh, we were framed in their issue. Bricolage, and uh, I was thinking, but do we actually make a collage? No, we don't. And mm-hmm. so the way you actually approach it is something we would like you <laughs> to, to, to approach it indeed. So uh, um, um, that, that makes me happy because I think uh, um, the collage is, is really uh, uh, is one step further. Um, then things start to fall apart, and that, for example. By the way, uh, that's not uh, uh, disqualifying it because I have the feeling that, for example, um, the Ville de Vintailleur, um, mm-hmm. but also, actually also, Lutjes uh, Patmanabon uh, are actually going much further in that, in, in kind of almost deconstructing a, a, a building. or Also in a very sub- subtle way, not not to put it immediately into the field of deconstructivism, but... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, they're challenging it in a different way, you could say, which is uh, totally intriguing for me. Also, very uh, risky and, and and daring, and totally inspiring. Also, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting about the work? I mean, and and talking with Oliver and Thomas, mm-hmm. you start you start to see it happening now, where you see uh, people imitating. The motifs of Lutyens Padmanabhan. Right? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. In wow. Lo- in London, I've seen a bit of it, which is really quite a bizarre thing to do, right? Because yeah. it's 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 mistaking it as some kind of fashion icon, oh. whereas what yeah. you're talking about is it's actually about the equilibrium. It's actually about the the methodology, really, actually, mm-hmm. rather than the thing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, which is risky and compelling and a very embodied sort of knowledge. You know, it's not something that's replicable. You know, it's not something that's... I guess what I'm enjoying about all these people is that you look at their work and they sort of inspire by their skill, mm-hmm. but don't seek to be emulated. Yeah. And there's, you know, there are, there are whole other movements, you yeah. know, where people are trying to set out orthodoxies for what civic 
structures are and I look I have respect for all of that sort of thing and of course that's necessary in the making of the fabric of our cities but as somebody trying to practice as an architect I am much more drawn to the exemplars of those who are impossible Hmm. to copy if you know what I mean of course of course talking about this issue what really uh, strikes me then is uh, uh, there's also this when we talk about materiality there's this um, in then there then there's in Switzerland for example this uh, Total overfocus uh, on, on uh, most uh, yeah on materiality and yeah? so the right the right concrete in the right way <laughs> and and and, uh, and then heavily polished and uh, um, so there's this over celebration of materiality and that's that's a bit what I admire so much about the architecture of uh, of Thomas and uh, and Oliver that they kind of completely reject this and uh, and dare to reject this and by making everything thin and uh, as being clad and uh, and almost uh, yeah I would use it as a compliment uh, very dishonest um, which mm-hmm. is very good I think and very intriguing it's it's less concerned with honesty than it is with seduction yes yeah. and I do find those two poles interesting yeah. say the material saturated work that you're describing is equally a structurally saturated work mm-hmm in the same country are an apparently structurally saturated work, which isn't. There's no room for nuance or for subtlety or for being gentle mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. being background. Even. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess what I, it's interesting to say to think about how, and you mentioned Ticino earlier on, and there was a lot of ambiguity to the work of the Ticinese architects at that time. Yeah. And I mean, Gaffetti, mm-hmm. modernist, but Beaux-Arts, mm-hmm. Lots of things going on, and then sometimes he dresses up in postmodernism, and sometimes he's dressing up mm. in the French Enlightenment, and you know, an amazing beckoned time, yeah. brilliant things happening. And if you look at the work, say, of Vicini, mm-hmm. I, I, there has to be some link between Vicini and Algiati in some mm-hmm. way to do with the structural finesse of, say, the Vicini studio, for instance. But mm-hmm. Vicini never got interested in the kind of there's a sort of subtlety to his work where it's never the first thing you notice. You don't notice the structural gymnastics per se of yeah. those that school. Whereas with Algiati, increasingly, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the thing that's foregrounded yeah. more and more and more. And look, I respect his work mm-hmm. massively, but I feel a sort of a loss in a way, you know, the tracking from Paspals to the house in Portugal. I don't see it as a tracking as an evolution in a way, it's a distillation of sorts. Mm-hmm. I'm not sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sounding negative about the man's no, work and I'm okay. not meaning to be. But it's, it's whereas I see in Vicini's work of that time, much more ambiguity, much more nuance. There's historical reference, mm-hmm. but there's also this massive interest in post-tension slabs and ridiculous fans and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, what am I trying to say? I'm getting diverted. But the adulteration of something is what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, 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 and maybe that's something because... Maybe it's a peripherality or something, but adulteration does seem to be the thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah the tempering of something by something else. I have to think a bit. Uh, um, perhaps, we, perhaps it has to do with with. Uh, um, well, in the, I always notice that there's such a 
big difference in the, in the Dutch con- context. And I sometimes have the feeling all the other countries are uh, around uh, us, but um, um, that there's not, we're such a small country that doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, space for nuance, where in Flanders everything is surrealistic and chaotic and, uh, and exotic. Um, uh, in, in the Netherlands, everything is, uh, needs to be clear and, and defined well. And, uh, and that ends up in, or it's over hilarious architecture, um, which is uh, uh, very shallow in an uninteresting way. Um, or it's very uh, very modernistic in its uh, clearness, but there's not a lot of ambiguity, or uh, there are only a few people that dare to to do this. Well, outside of the Netherlands, I see much more. Well, Calvetti, uh, you mentioned, but uh, well, I think there. The it makes me think of this text of um, Lampugnani, which actually was a, one of the uh, key texts uh, in this Oase issue of codes and con- uh, continuities, where he describes. When I travel through Europe, I uh, and I, when I talk to architects, uh, in two sentences, I can actually notice whether uh, what the frame of reference is uh, and what type of architects uh, these people are. Um, because if they mention Arne Jacobs, uh, they don't mention Kai Fisker. They, uh, <laughs> if they mention Terragni, they don't uh, mention Muzio. If they uh, mention Le Corbusier, they don't mention Pouillon. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a li- nice lineup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this was the topic uh, of the journal. But I always feel very, very uh, much, uh, which it was called uh, by a Dutch architect, Hans van der Heide, uh, the, the shadow canon. Um, so the people that were in the shadow, but were eventually absolutely there, uh, but very local. I don't know. I think it's only six years ago or... or Eight years ago, that I truly discovered Kai Fisker, uh, yeah. and uh, and one one of the things that binds these people seems to be uh, uh, materiality, urbanity, uh, um, um, a sense of civicness. You could say also an appetite to to deal with convention and to make an interpretation of that. Um, now, I think these these four things that I just mentioned. Could also still be valid for uh, the group of people that we have been talking about, yeah. uh, and I think that is. Uh, uh, but yeah, it would not be a manifesto. But that's something that is that is absolutely binding, so to say. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because those architects that you talk about, they're 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 quite hard to um, disseminate using the conventional tropes of yeah. architecture. I mean, you know, okay. Kai Fisker, it's a it's a big block, or it's a long terrace, or it's a it's a monumental square in a city, or whatever. And yes, there's materiality and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't photograph particularly well. And actually, the spaces, the internal spaces, they're they're not always great. You know, they're they're not on it all the time. And I think what was kind of interesting about them is they require you to physically witness the work. Yeah. They require you to physically live there. What's remarkable about these architects you're talking about is that a lot of the work is still a living part of the city, yeah. very much so. I mean, Hornbeck House has three or four generations of the same family who've lived there continually and kind of knocked into each other's apartments and things like that. And it's a nest now, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, an island, yeah. insulare. You know, it's, it yeah. is one of those things in the city. And but I think what they do have in common is that concern, which is that, and the Smithsons talk about it is they work at detail, like the window, and they work at the scale of the city. And they don't see bigness as a necessity as a retreat to cynicism or a retreat to polemic. That in the place of all that stuff, they position a judgment, which I think is 
a really brave and risky thing to do because you're you're really trying to do something with almost nothing. Mm. I mean, effectively, on Hornbeck House, and it's interesting because we've been talking with brickwork on your own, without that band of plaster around the windows, mm. the entire building, I don't think, works on any level. Because then when you go inside the courtyard, it's the, the way that you've changed your relationship to mm. the windows. You don't get the reflectiveness on the glass. You see mm. into the apartments. And then when you're on the street, because they're kind of meniscus across the surface of the mm. building, that plaster band makes that dance. Is it a window? Is it a veil? Is it a curtain? What is mm. it? Uh, it's just extraordinarily accomplished thing to do. But you really can't get it unless you're just kind of strolling around that place and it's part of your neighborhood and it's background and it's ordinary and it's not yeah. even... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Puyon and these yeah. people, I think, hold up... Um, and I think that's what's kind of compelling about all of this stuff is that uh, perhaps there is a kind of, I think that there is a scope in the work of the practices that we're talking about mm-hmm. to actually operate at scale, mm-hmm. which which I, I find interesting. I mean, you know, if we talk about your work yeah. now, because when I'm not, you know, the last time you were in Kingston, you were very much beginning and yeah. increasingly now getting attention and, you know, mm-hmm. people examining your work. There's two, two, two questions that here, yeah. I suppose, is, is that pressure affecting the practice? So, you know, you've had to come to London today. This happens a lot in your life. Does that affect the practice? And the other thing is that are you getting opportunities? There is a beginning to happen that scale might be something that Manadnock can actually work with. Uh, the second question, yes. Great. We're okay. currently working on, on a bigger uh, uh, housing schemes. Um, unfortunately, they take a lot of time. So, uh, uh I think it will uh, be another two or three or perhaps even four years before they will be there. So one has to be patient. We'll get you back in another six years. Yeah. Good idea. <laughs> Good idea. And uh, uh, I would say it's, um, well, we're, we're still small. Uh, we're with, uh, at the moment, we're with six people. And that means, um, yes, it influences uh, uh, when we start traveling around. But on the other hand, uh, um, that's a good thing about working together, that one guards the house and the other can be away for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, if you're involved in teaching and in, indeed into into writing, you, it's, you try to actually uh, spread out a network of uh, to build up a dialogue with people in, in, in several places. And I think uh, uh, being there and lecturing is also a way of, uh, is, is one of these ways of uh, of uh, building up this dialogue, I think it's absolutely necessary to yeah to uh, to feed the discourse, uh, and I see this as an extension or part of the uh, of the practice. We're not yet in the in the position that we let's say uh, get so many requests for lectures that we have to refuse most of them. Of course, I. Yeah, it's 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 a balance because you want to grow with your office. Because well, actually, you want to grow with your office, not in itself uh, a target that we <laughs> try to reach. It's, but we've noticed that if you well, you have to imagine when you're working in uh, at Rob and when you're working at MVRDV, Alexander did. Then we were working on quite big uh, projects, uh, urban projects with an urban impact. Um, and when you start your own office again, you go back to. <laughs> Shrink (laughs) in skill, so um, and then then you have then you try to at least uh, formulate this urban ambition in in also in smaller uh, projects, uh, I think. But we've noticed that, uh, uh, yeah, that you kind of you you need a certain substance to be able to build uh, uh, bigger buildings. Um, 
and that's uh, and we're I think we're we're just about there. We're not very we're not very um, fast, I would say. Yeah. It took we're now uh, existing uh, for eleven years. So uh, and I think in two thousand eight we had a, we had a, a kind of momentum with a, with a, um, some well you just mentioned this uh, this uh, core chart scheme. If that would have been built, then I think we would have been a bit f- uh, further now uh, with our practice. But that was the economical crisis that kind of slapped away uh, half of our commissions, which was quite uh, an do, do interesting. Find, <laughs> you know, we went through the same thing where yeah. for eight, so I don't know, six years, yeah. everything died. Yeah. You know, everything died. And I kind of wonder now, has it sort of tempered us permanently? You know, to the point that every job, so we're about to go to tender on a very big job mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. in Somerset. Mm-hmm. And until there's a digger on site, you know, digging a hole and there's somebody pouring concrete into that hole, I just don't believe in any job anymore. I can't. Is I, that affected you? I, rec- I recognize that as well. Um, it made us, um, I noticed that I, when, when we were work, working at Rock, we kind of um, tried to. No, it actually was also in the beginning of our practice. We tried to formulate um, our the project and uh, uh, not and not question it anymore. So this is the clear mm-hmm. point of the project, and um, and it should maintain uh, be maintained at all times like this. That's also what, the way I was trained at at the up. So you kind of uh, like a donkey shot, make sure that you protect uh, or you attack the windmills, but you kind of uh, try to uh, uh, protect the 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 design at all times and don't don't question or change it anymore and i've noticed that uh, um, after this crisis we've became more flexible but i also think that we've became more self-conscious and also more relaxed that we're actually that we're able to to make it good in the end um, that's really interesting we've made the same journey we we don't we really want people to stick their finger in yeah. and you know to move things around and to yeah. criticize things yeah. I mean I'm not sure if it's a healthy thing either but we're constantly reassembling the pieces from yeah. the fragments that are left from these conversations yeah. maybe that's, that's a logical that's res- interesting yeah. yeah maybe that's a logical response to because because what you end up doing of course is that when you've built mentally not actually for so long you've built up this repository of buildings which have never happened and of course you're continually pulling pieces of them still mentally into the projects in front of you so it produces this big well that nobody's aware of that you're drawing from and of course then because there's so much of them so many unbuilt projects i mean ridiculous amounts that the clients don't know that there's about 10 shadow projects ready when this one gets knocked down indeed and it does make for a much healthier relationship with clients i I think think, is to just accept that that don't worry, yeah. they're right, and you, it will reassemble itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, it's it's also interesting what you mentioned now because it's actually you could use different words for it. You could call it a, a storage or a, an agenda, or there, there's a there's a field of fascinations. And when one is not working, you just change it for another one. That's or, right. And uh, and uh, or indeed. Uh, you re- recycle or reuse uh, things that did not work out in another project, and that's completely legitimate, I think, and and, and important also that you keep on trying. I would say. Um, so f- for me, it never feels like uh, 
I, I, I'm never bothered about, uh, about the originality and these kinds of things, or that that things are uh, can only happen at one one moment and and uh, and, and then it should be uh, uh, there. I think the, the things are more fluid. Uh, am I experiencing right now? And therefore, I completely recognize what you say that things can change till the end, <laughs> even when they started uh, uh, building. I'm not I'm not necessarily making um, let's say this into a method it's yeah. just it's just um but i i could counter it with uh, um kirsten and david uh, for example saying uh, yeah we we make we make the diagram the sketch and 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 and, and we draw it in in its pureness and here it is um so it's it's a very um uh, well it's an admirable clearness and at the same time it's also quite rigid yeah. um and efficient also and uh and replicable yeah you know, yeah. um, you walk into a studio taught yeah. by that atelier, and you know you know what the work's going to be like. It's an interesting question, and it's, it's they do have certainty. Uh, actually, they're moving rapidly as a result. Yeah. Actually, and yeah. fair play to them. We might you've spoken very generously with your time, <laughs> unless I've missed anything. We generally wrap up these interviews with um, just a question, which is that if you had one piece of advice to give a student studying architecture today, what would it be? My uh, first reaction would be a very general one, and that would be the, um, that's uh, 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 no fear of failing, because I, uh, uh, I I know how paralyzing this could uh, can be. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, failing a, a studio is as 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 valuable as uh, as getting a very high grade. I would say. Still For traumatic, your... though. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, it should also completely knock you down failing a studio. But um, and therefore, it's as a reflective uh, uh, thing a very important uh, event, I would say, because it will make you reflect like hell. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> make you angry as well. Yeah, make you angry and uh, make you want to change a lot of things, probably. And the other thing is also uh, quite a general one, and that is just try to see and visit uh, as many places and, and mm. uh, as possible and uh, completely uh, try to travel as much as possible try to uh, uh, try to really physically uh, visit play, uh, important uh, uh, buildings uh, as much as possible i think that helped me so much and still helps me uh, with making this distinction like you also just mentioned some architecture really doesn't work in in, in pictures and, and photos uh, only and you really 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 have to see the, these other angles that have not been uh, published mm. all over the web it's also a bit to to experience the or distinguish the people that uh, make architecture for uh, one year let's say or for that are occupied with making architecture, which lasts for perhaps a longer or, or a, well, not necessarily longer, but it's actually more about how to how to make how to make a building. Mm. Um, that uh, weathering is an issue, for example, and, uh, and 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 I think these kinds of uh, things only get get disclosed when you when you visit these uh, uh, buildings. Just see how time plays with them. Yeah, I think that's a nice note to end on. And we'll go down to the lecture, which I'm very looking forward to. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Register. In our next episode, we are joined by Marcus and Will of Dahani Diamond Architects. I hope you join us then. Before signing off, I'd like to thank Laura Evans for her work with me in organising this series of lectures, podcasts and more from Register.
And also Madoka Ellis, who's giving us help with editing and sound quality. And I hope you can recognize the difference in this episode already. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to subscribe or to leave your comments or reviews on your podcast provider of choice. Thank you very much.